0: Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come, so expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Speaking, but what things that were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I had suffered the loss of all things and counted them to be as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God which is from God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So Paul, speaking this verse, he starts it out with saying this. But all these things which were gained to me, everything that I have gained, I have counted as lost. But then he says this, but yet indeed, all things, so in other words, not just these things that were gained to me, not just my successes, not just all the blessings, not just all of the good things that have happened, but now yet these all things, in other words, even my failures, even the things where I've messed up, everything that's happened to me at to this point in my life, and that will happen all things as loss for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus. Paul's saying this is this is what my life is all about, that I would know him, to know Jesus Christ. And the, the vision here um, at Coastal Vineyard is this, to know him and share his love with the world. And that's What Paul is saying here is Philippians, that I might know him. So our next portion of, of scripture, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came to them and spoke to them saying these things, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. So here we find Jesus giving us this charge to go and make disciples, that we would know him and share his love with the world. It's a two-part vision of the church. First, that we would know him. Second, that we would take all of that knowledge and not just sit on the knowledge, but that we would take it and share it with the world around us. Um, at the beginning of the year, um, excuse me for all the ums, I'm trying to get there. We pointed out a few discipleship models that the church has used really predominantly throughout the last hundred years. And I want to take a couple seconds just to kind of re-go over a few of those things. And I I, I made mention that I was going to introduce to you our discipleship model for the church and the way that we are going to see this vision come to pass as far as to know him and share his love with the world. Because we can look at that and we can say, that's great. We, we all desire that. I think as all Christians, we would say, hey, yes, I want to know Jesus more. And I want to be obedient to his word. And his word is pretty clear that we would go and make disciples. That So I, I, I want to partake in that. So the big question is, well, how? How do we do that? And so, if you c- come from maybe a more Baptist background, you would be familiar with the cl- classic form of discipleship, which is really made up of a, a, a lot of Bible study, scripture memorization, uh, a lot of classroom teaching, things on how to share your faith, uh, things like that. Um, the negative to this model is that there 's a lot of busyness a lot of a lot of um, uh, positive and a lot of things get done. The negative is it's so externally focused that people get burned out. Um, Now, if you come from a Catholic background, you're more familiar with what they would call spiritual formation, and that is uh, partaking of the Eucharist communion, uh, remembering holy days, following the church calendar, the practices of silence, solitude, things of this nature. Now, positive, negative of this is that you really do develop a inner focus on God and what he's on the inside, but it lacks the outward motion. So everything's really on to know him and make him known is kind of secondary. And so it's really inner focused. um, if you've been a part of more of the non-denominational churches really throughout America, you would have really seen relational community discipleship model. And what their model basically says is we gather people inside of community and there's a focus of acceptance of where you are no matter what you look like, what you do, but the focus is not so much on the presence of God but just the presence of people. If we could just get people together and we'll live inside of community and we'll do this thing together. So it becomes very much just us-centered. It's all about the people and God will catch up. And so here's the thing. As the church, we've looked at these three models, and it's easy to just say, hey, we're going to lean to this one, this side or this side, And my point was, what if we could take the best of all three, maximize the strengths, minimize the weaknesses, and really see what that looks like? And that is what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first step of saying, you know, I want to know Jesus. I want to be a fully, and whenever I say the word disciple, I'm saying this, to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. That if you are a disciple of God, of Jesus, you are a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. So, first step. We've talked about this for over the last year a lot. And these are kind of four things that we're saying basic Christianity, these are things to know him better. One, read. Reading your Bible. Psalms 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Praying. See, in reading, we establish knowledge with God. In praying, we establish relationship with God. Psalms 18.6, In my distress, I called unto the Lord and cried out to God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him and to his ears. So it's a communication that's taken forth. Place. It's a relationship that's happening when we pray. The next thing is give. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. The The act of love is just giving, that we would give, that we would give to the Lord. For God so loved that he gave. And the third thing, serve. 2 Timothy 1, 1, 16, but I think it might be six. Seven, I think that might be the wrong one, uh, but this verse is this. Therefore, I remind you, Paul speaking to Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is within, which was given to you through the laying on, of, laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So Paul saying to Timothy, listen, with all of your knowledge and everything that you're gaining, all of the relationship that's going with you in Christ, don't forget to use those gifts, to stir up those things that God's placed in within you, that you would serve humanity. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. So here's the thing. These four things, if you look at them, read, pray, give, and serve, they're really all externally focused. They're all saying, here, these are these are all things that you can do. Read, pray, give, and serve. So we're really Focusing on the classic discipleship model at that point. The next phase, learning how to rest. Learning how to rest in God. Genesis 2 and 3, and then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all of of his work, which he created and made. And then there's another law, there's another Ten Commandments that says, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. That we would rest, that we would learn how to rest. Next would be silence, how we would learn to go before God in silence. And in 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12, it says this. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there was a great wind and there was a strong so wind that it was splitting the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the lord but the lord was not in the wind and then after the wind was the earthquake but the lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the lord was not in the fire and then after the fire some translations will say this some say this and then after the fire was a whisper or a gentle tug but There's one translation that I really like. It says this, and after the fire, there was the sound of sheer silence. After all of the motion, after all of the earthquakes and wind rumbling and fire crackling and all of this, then there was the sound of silence. And there is where we found God speaking. So learning how to find him in the silence. Next, learning how to find him in silence. Solitude, Mark 1, 35, now in the morning, speaking of Jesus, having risen long before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So we have even this model from Jesus saying, get by yourself. There's something about just getting alone with God. And so if you look at these three, these are really internally focused these aren't really things that you so much do whereas read pray give serve this is this is action these are things that you're you're putting forth this is inaction this is you taking the time to stop and saying you know what i'm going to rest i'm going to listen you see it's not just praying sometimes when we start to pray it's all of us doing all of this god 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 and we don't ever give time for god to speak back to us and so here we're saying, all right, we've prayed, but now let's sit and wait. And let's see if God says something even in the silence. So the next one, that we would wait and we would endure. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, that we would learn to wait on God. Sometimes we just, you know, we we've we've read, we've prayed, we've <laughs> given, we've served, we've done all of the external things, and we've even we've even tried to silence ourselves. But then we get, I just gotta do something. I, I just gotta do something. And sometimes God's just saying, wait. And see, waiting, enduring. See, I didn't put these in the motion section, the action. Or the inaction. See, I would call these involuntary motion. Just like your heartbeat. Whereas it's working even when it doesn't feel like it's working. So is it action? Yes. Is it inaction? Yes. Waiting on God takes a lot of action and it takes a lot of inaction. It just happens that we have to learn how to wait. And then we have to learn how to endure. Matthew 24 says this. And 13 But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this, the gospel of the kingdom, will be preached in all nations as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. In other words, Jesus is saying, there will be times in your Christian walk where you will have to endure some things. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of times where you have to endure all things. (laughs) Even the things that you don't think you have to endure. So with this look, what I've tried to do is take the best of all of these wonderful, wonderful backgrounds that we have from so many different, uh, beyond denominational boundaries, beyond certain people saying that that just this, and, and grab them all and say, hey, we can do this together. What does it look like that we would do all these things and the outcome would be this? that we would love to love like he loved first john 4:19 we love because he first loved us we know we can do all this because of what he has done for us now here's the thing we can do all of those things that i just mentioned we could go through the first part of discipleship and we could read and pray give serve we can learn how to rest and have silent solitude and waiting on the Lord enduring, but that would not be enough. If you just did all of those things, it wouldn't be long until you found that, man, something is just wrong. Something is falling short because of the second part, that we would share his love with the world, that we would go and make disciples, so what does that look like? What does going and making disciples look like? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great thing to just kind of say, but if I was to ask you, what does, what does discipleship look like for you in your life? Are you actively engaged in discipleship and being discipled and discipling someone else into being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? A lot of you would kind of say, I don't know. Um, what does that look like? Well, the answer to that question is what I just put on the board, that it would look like everything that we are doing ourselves, that we would teach people how to read, pray, give, and serve, rest, have silence, solitude, wait, and endure. So in other words, all of the things that we are learning to know him on our own, now we just do it together. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what Jesus modeled. Jesus is saying, all of these things that I do, this path that I've walked in, now you follow me, that we would follow him. And so now, instead of just reading our Bibles, now we read our Bibles together. Now, instead of me just praying, now we pray together. And see, there's another portion of scripture in Acts chapter one, which says that you would be witnesses to me into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you look at a map, those places that Jesus is mentioning, it it gets further and further as he goes out, all the way from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. So it's like it starts, and then it grows. And so we can have the tendency to look at discipleship and all of a sudden just jump to that we would go out and be disciples of all nations. So we're just going to do all of this overseas. And what Jesus is saying here is that it would start small. It would start with what's close to you, and it would grow from there. I see, we like, we got, we, we're very goal-oriented, so we just want to jump to the, hey, let's just jump to all nations. But here you'll see family is first, that you would disciple your family first and foremost. So, in other words, husbands, that you would be Christ to your wife. That you would read your Bible with your wife. That you would learn how to pray with your wife. That you would serve together, give together. That you would learn how to rest together. That you would learn how to have silence together and even solitude together. That you would learn how to endure together. That you would learn how to wait together with your wife and with your family. With your Because what it, would it be to go out and to gain, to be, man, all these things to all nations and your family's falling apart? How many ministers are out there on TV right now and they're big names and they're wonderful and they're doing so many things to all nations and their family is falling apart? I'll tell you right now, I love you guys, but I love my wife more. And she comes first. And my daughter comes first. Bottom line. Every time. See, I was watching um, this movie, uh, it's an older movie, it's called Face Off with Nicholas Nick, Cage and John Travolta, and they like switch places. And in the movie, um, jo- Nicholas Cage is supposed to be the bad guy, and John Travolta's the good guy, and they're kind of following. But when they switch, now Nicholas Cage is the husband to john travolta's wife and we start to see that the bad guy is actually a much better husband than the good guy and so there's this kind of scene in the movie where um nicholas cage you know john travolta he's like kind of you know doing his thing and the secretary comes in and says um Sir, the president is on the line for you. He wants to talk to you, congratulate you for a job well done. And she's about to shut the door. She says, oh yeah, oh yeah, by the way, sir, your, your wife is also on the other line. And he says this, tell the president to hold. I love that. Do we do the same thing? He's supposed to be the bad guy. How often do we get caught up with all of the other stuff and our families get neglected. How often do you get caught up with your work or get caught up with ministry or with this or that, and your family gets left behind? No, that we would learn, that we would know Him and share His love with the world, and the world starts with our family. The world starts with that which God has put in close enough to us. And if you're in here this morning and say, well, I'm not married or I don't have any kids, these are the people that you would consider your family. If you don't have family, this is the ones that, to me, they are my family. This this is what God's saying, that you would disciple them first, that you would read, pray, give, serve, that all these things that you're doing in private would now be done together. This is what discipleship looks like, that it would be done together. First, that we would know him, then that we would share that love, first of all, with our families. Second of all, with the community, those that are around us. This would be people inside the church. This would be people inside of your workplace. These would be the ones that you are interacting with on um, a frequent basis that you have a relationship with already, that you would go and you would learn how to do these things together with them. Say, hey, let's let's get together. Let's let's look at the scriptures. Let's read. Let's is there anything I could pray for you for? Do you know how to pray? Well, let's learn how to pray together. Um there's a gentleman, uh, actually, I don't know if she's here right now, but uh Justin and Lori um Summerall, they're over the greeting teams here at the church. And I would say that I'm just so proud of this couple because um, they, and I, I want them to share more uh, in the future of what's going on, but they were just at a really tough place with their family. And it, it just seemed like Justin came to me. He's like, man, it's, just, it's all falling apart. Everything, it just felt like everything was falling apart. And now, a year later, he's leading inside the church. His marriage is doing much better. He's given it to God and saying, you know, I can't do this. And he's doing these things that we're talking about this morning. So it's, it's not just a theory. Like, it's proven within this couple. And now he's leading. And and what really gets me is there's another couple in the church that they went up to and they said, listen, you know, discipleship's important. A- and honestly, we're just kind of new. We're trying to figure it out. But do you want to figure it out together? Do you want to... We'll, we'll try to disciple you guys, and in the meantime, y'all, we'll learn from you, and we'll learn this together, and we just know that the, the scripture says, go and make disciples. And so here goes a, a couple that were on the brink of everything just falling apart, and now, to know him, and share his love with the world, and they're doing it, and they're saying, you know, we don't have it all figured out, but we're going to do it. And what gets me, is there's people that have been inside of the church for 20 plus years, and have never made one stinking stinking disciple. That is a shame. The commandment of our Lord that we would go and make disciples. It is not optional. It is central to what we are supposed to be doing. Was it last week? Two weeks ago. Everything else is secondary. You know, men's group, women's group, youth group, this class for this thing, this, all of that is secondary that we would go and make disciples of all nations, sharing his love with the world. I just look out at American Christianity and I'm just really disappointed because I look at America and we have more resources Than anybody else on the planet. We have more money than anybody else on the planet. And the fact of the matter is, in terms of the gospel message being spread with what resources we have, we are doing the most little with the most much. In other words, we have all of these things and we accomplish about this much. Where we have other people that are over in Africa and they have about this much and they're accomplishing this much. Something is wrong. We look at the old, last night or a few nights ago, I'm laying in bed with my wife and I just start crying. I just say, something is wrong. Something is wrong with church. Not just the church, the, this church, me, something's wrong. W- what is it? And I look out and I, I just see how I get so caught up in all of the extras There's a pastor in Africa that was holding, I think, a conference or something. And an American missionary was talking to him. And the pastor replies to one of his questions with this. He says, "Uh, brother, for so long, we've done so much with so little that now we could do just about anything with just about nothing. This church doesn't need more money. This church doesn't need more programs. Or a better light show. Or better musicians. Or This church needs more of Jesus. This pastor needs more of Jesus. That I would know him. And the power of his resurrection. Resurrection Power. Nobody, anybody else that dies still in the grave, Jesus, that's power. That's real power. That's having the juice. But is that what our churches are known for? Um, one of my favorite authors is Eugene Peterson. He's the one that uh, helped with... Uh, the message bible he's authored i don't know how many books but he tells this story and he was a pastor for 30 40 years and he tells the story of he was his church was growing and they were just getting started he was a young man and everything was going good and they started meeting in the basement and then they got caught up with a building project so they were building their church building and it's it's going along and the church is growing and everything's going good and they finally get into this building and uh, he notices that attendance drops by about a third. He loses about a third of the congregation. So he goes to his superiors and is just saying, hey, you know, what's happening? These people will have, you know, stopped coming to church. And he, he, no real reason why. Nothing's changed. And so uh, the superior responds to him, well, what do I do? And he says this, um, start another building project. Americans need to have goals. They have to have something that they can do to which he responded, there's no way I'm doing that. Which I say, good for you, Eugene. And so we find ourselves, really when it comes to church, taking and, see, we love the idea of the church. The idea of church is wonderful. The idea of, man, I'll go to church and everybody's just going to love each other. And Jesus is going to show up. And a glory cloud is going to fill the room. And all of a sudden everything is just going to be magical. And just, oh, angels. And that's what we love to think, and we've romanticized it to the point where we're that young teenage girl looking out the window, waiting for Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, and he's going to come riding on this horse. Only to find out when Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome comes riding on that horse, he is sweaty and he is stinky and he is smelly because he's been in battle. And he goes to eat and he eats like a pig. What are you doing? How often does Jesus come in the same form? See, we look at the Old Testament, everyone's looking, man, the king's coming, he's coming, he's going to look like this, and he comes in a manger. He often doesn't come like we expect. And when he comes in a way that we don't expect, we often miss him. And so we look at church and we romanticize it to the point where we miss what God is doing right now. And we think church is about buildings And we think church is about having this one goal that we have to obtain. We have to get to somewhere. We have to be there. Because remember, we have to be doing something. We don't know how to just be silent and rest and actually give it to God. And say, you know what? Even at the end of this road, if there's a cross involved, it's okay. That I would know him and his resurrection power and his sufferings. All of it. It's a full package. See, we love to romanticize church. We also love to romanticize Jesus. We love the idea of following Jesus, but we don't like following Jesus. We don't like following Jesus because the reality is he likes to lead us into places that we don't like to go. We have become a people that are so accepting and of everything that now we just tell people that all you have to do is pray a simple prayer and you are saved. Forget the numerous, numerous verses of Scripture that says, now that you, mu- you would follow me. He who is not willing to leave, mother, brother, father, all of those, and give up everything, is not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus is very un- What's the word I'm looking for? Unapologetic of the fact that he asked for everything. Everything. All of it. Where Paul says, all of these things that I've gained to me, and all of these things that even were lost, there as nothing to knowing Christ. Can we say that? We've romanticized it. And so things get hard, and then we quit when things don't go right. Or we set more goals to keep ourselves busy so we look good on the outside and cry ourselves to sleep when we're alone. And if our churches aren't busy with making goals, we're busy with making performers. Because if, if you can't get them to commit, well, just put on a great show, and that'll keep them coming back. The problem with putting on a great show is they get old quick. Just the other day, I was watching MacGyver. It was the best show ever in the 80s. Now, I'm like, man, I could do that. Our church could have the coolest light show, the best band, the best building with the best blah, 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 and it would get old quick that we would know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and that we would take everything that we learned from him and we would go and make disciples of all nations and that those disciples would start with our family and they would go to our community and they would go to the uttermost parts. Let me ask the band to come back up. See, I'm laying there in my bed, and I'm crying out to my wife, and I'm saying something's got to change. Something, uh, it, it's, there's got to be more of God in our church services. There has to be more of God in my life. And I said, well, honey, wh- what do you think? What if, what if church couldn't exist the way it does today? What if we couldn't have a building what if we couldn't worship openly, and we couldn't have a band, and we couldn't do a lot of the things that we do right now, would the church survive? And we got to talking about that. Well, what would it look like? And and Devin told me, you know, well, people might, you know, gather in their homes and uh, study the scriptures and stuff, and... Got talking about that, and I thought, you know, I bet that, you know, people would, would do that, but would we then go? Would we go? See, what I just described is a reality for many people in other parts of the world. There are many churches that can't meet like we're meeting right now. There are churches that are meeting at 2 o'clock in the morning, and somebody's basement or a little shack with no light, maybe just a candle, so no one could see what's going on, to open up their words and study the scriptures and to meet together and and, and not forsake the gathering. And the thing is this, though, they're taking that and they're going. They're going out into their communities and the gospel message is being spread in places that are facing enormous persecution. And I wonder sometimes, if American church was to experience that type of persecution, sometimes I think maybe that would be the best thing for us. Maybe that might just save us. Maybe instead of trying to make it easy all the time on you guys, maybe I should start trying to make it a lot harder. What if you showed up to church and there was a sign on the door that said, we're not meeting here today, we're meeting somewhere else. Pray to God, hope you find the spot. The fact is, people do that. It sounds funny, but there are other places that that's what they do. And the church is growing. And people are getting saved. And they're doing it under the threat of being kicked out of their families, kicked out of their villages, arrested, tortured. It's hard to see that here in America. Because we can wake up and we could have a cup of coffee, we could drive our cars, and we can make the decision to i may or may not read my Bible. I may or may not go to church, sure it's really easy here <sighs> c. s. Lewis says this. We have, been, we have become content like children making mud pies in the slums because we can't dream of what it would be like to have a vacation at sea. He says the problem is not that we desire too much, but that we desire too little. We have become satisfied with the way things are. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaks this parable. He says the kingdom is like this treasure that's hidden in a field in which one day a man found it. And upon finding that treasure, he went out and sold everything that he had and bought that field. I wonder if we have found that treasure but we haven't gone and sold everything that we have. And I wonder why we haven't sold everything that we have. Maybe it's because we don't know what we're holding. We don't know the true treasure in Jesus Christ that's right before us right now. We don't understand the full power of knowing him and that resurrection power. Because I think when you have a moment with God, when you become saved, everything changes. If you just invite God into your heart and you go out and you live yesterday like you did the day before, honestly, I have questions about that. I'm not sitting here and saying you're not saved. Don't get me wrong. I'm not getting all theological on you. What I'm saying is what Jesus said. And Jesus said that you would leave it all behind. And those that aren't willing to give me everything to leave, father, mother, brother, riches, all these things, you can't be my disciple. Jesus wants it all. Every bit of it. And so if you're frustrated with church, if you're frustrated with your life, You're frustrated with a number of different things and you just, man, you keep showing up to church hoping. There's a few questions. One, have we given it all to him? Have we become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ? That we would go and know him and make him known to the world. Now I know I'm going long, but one last thing before I wrap this up. Here, here is the temptation. The temptation is to take this thing that I've given you this morning and to turn it into some type of formula. Turn it into some formula that just says, if I do A, B, and C, D, and then this will be the results, and I'll live out a good Christian life. If you do that, you will fail. It won't work because that is not what this is intended to be. If you look at it as a type of map that you're arriving at a certain destination, you will fail miserably. You can't do it. This is not intended to be a map. What this is intended to be is a compass. And a compass that says, it points us in a certain direction. It says this, well, when you come and say, well, I just, I don't know what's going on. I just feel like God's a, a million miles away. Well, well, are you reading your Bible? No. Well, start reading your Bible. Well, let's see if God speaks to you then. Or you say, well, I have been reading my Bible. Okay, well, well have you been silent before? Him? Have you waited and listened for God? Well, no. Well, then do that. And we'll, we'll see if God speaks then. See, it's a compass. It's not a map. It's saying, hey, here's things that we could calculate our north. These are things that bring us closer to Jesus. The order in which we do them, the manner in which we do them always changes. So we can read and then we can be silent. And then sometimes that silence leads to just waiting. Sometimes that waiting leads to enduring. And so... We could ask ourselves, man, it just feels like something's not right, something's off. And, and I could stand before my wife and say, look, I'm doing these things. I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm giving, I'm serving. I'm learning how to, to rest and to wait and endure, but I still feel like something's wrong. Am I discipling you, honey? Am I being the man of God that I'm supposed to be? Let's do this together. Let's read together. Let's pray together. Because this is, it's, remember, it's a compass. It's calculating. If something feels off, well, maybe because something is off. So don't treat this like an ABC to do. Don't treat this like a goal that you have to reach. Because here's the wonderful thing about this. The only time that this is finished is when you die. <laughs> you don't arrive one day and just have it all together. We make disciples that make disciples, and we're constantly doing this thing. Together, We're doing it alone, personal, with us and God, and we're doing it together as a family, as a community, as all nations. And that is the heartbeat of this church, that we would know him and share his love with the world. And part of that, I'm wrapping it up, I promise, is that we would learn how to endure. And here at this church, we've never had any type of church membership or anything like that. I've always felt like it's more important to be a part of the church than it is important to be a part of a church. I think the most, find what church that you love and stick with it. But it's the thing is you need it. Even with all of its mess-ups, and even with all of its shortcomings, there's something about coming together as a community of faith of people and looking to God and saying, God, come in this place. And there's going to be times where you're going to have to endure. And so I'm not asking for you to sign some type of leisure or attendance or take some kind of class or A, B, C, D, and then you're a member of this church. What I'm asking is that you would simply commit, that you would make the decision in your own heart that, Lord, I commit. If this is the church that God has for you, be here. If there's another church, be there. But commit to something. We hate commitment. <laughs> just the other day, I had to redo my cell phone, and I had to sign that two-year commitment. That was like the worst thing I ever had to do in my life. Because I just know that the second I signed that commitment that, Man, they're going to come out with a better, cooler phone. And sometimes we think of church like that, man, the second I commit, something better or cooler is going to happen or something. Man, we can't, we got to stop thinking like that. The heartbeat of this church is that we would know him and share his love with the world. If that's your heartbeat too, I would invite you to join with us. I would invite you to join with us on this journey that's full of wrong roads and full of, and the map is not laid out. I can't sit here and give you a vision that's saying this is where we're going. It's going to be A, B, C, and D. No, I got a compass. And every week I'm just saying, God, which way? Oh, off a little bit. Wh- which way? Which way's north? Just, we just want to follow you. But with that, I want you guys to come along with me. And so I'm just asking for that commitment. I'm asking that you would commit to knowing him. I think if you've been a part of this church for a while, I've drilled it for the last year, the importance of read, pray, give, and serve. Like those things, I don't know if there's been a Sunday where I haven't. Like, just just do it. Commit to those things. Reading your Bible, praying, giving, serving. And so if we could please stand. And we are going to worship with one more song before we go, but as we worship, and, and I mentioned in the beginning, you know, over the next seven weeks, that we are putting these prayer requests before the Lord, but one of my prayer requests, too, is that over the next seven weeks, that you would take the time to pray, and because I don't want this to be just a, a quick decision of, okay, yeah, I, Coastal Vineyard is my church. No, I want you to take the next seven weeks and pray and say, is this where God has me? And if so, and if he speaks to you, yes, we'll commit. Get out of bed and come and read your Bible and pray and give and serve and rest and be silent and have solitude and endure things when they get hard and wait on the Lord when he's silent. And then take that and share it with your family, with this community, and with all nations.